Hey, Reliance Church, Pastor Ted, let's pray. Father, we do pray now that as we come to your word today, that you would minister to us and speak to us by your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to have wisdom and discernment to, and discernment to comprehend what your word says, to comprehend what your word means, and Lord, to have the strength of your Holy Spirit to actually put feet on our faith and be doers of your word, not hearers only. And we ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, and we're going to finish out this book of 2 Thessalonians today. You know, if the last two months has taught us anything, it is that control is an illusion, absolutely an illusion. In February, man, it was business as usual for our country, and all that's changed, man. Uh, suddenly, many of the things that we counted on, they're either gone or they're in question, and there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, I, I read an interview recently with a professor, and this professor has dual degrees in both epidemiology uh, and in economics. And uh, he said this, he said, if you're not scared by the dual pandemics that are accelerating around our planet, then you're not paying attention <laughs> Uh, of course, he's referring to the pandemic of the virus and as well the, the financial pandemic, which, uh, which a lot of people are talking about right now. And, you know, he's, he says, man, if you're not paying attention, well, for crying out loud, pretty much everybody's paying attention right now. Um, and um, many people are scared. Uh, there's a lot of people who are lacking peace. And man, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe, uh, maybe you have been lacking peace with everything that has been going on. And listen, I have good news for you today. Uh, because what we're going to look at here as we close out the book of 2 Thessalonians, well, Paul concludes with a final word of encouragement, and he focuses on three things. He focuses on the peace of God. He focuses on the presence of God. And he focuses on the grace of God. This is what we're going to be unpacking today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 16 where we left off, where Paul now is concluding uh, this, uh, this epistle. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself um, give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, and so I write. He's basically saying, look, I'm writing this in my own hand. I was a little, it was a common practice in these days for, for uh, when you're writing a letter that you used a scribe, and the scribe uh, wrote down the words uh, for you as you were speaking. Paul says, no, I'm putting this in my own handwriting so you know it's from me. Uh, and then he concludes here saying in verse 18, the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. So be it is the idea. By way of reminder, 2 Thessalonians was written in about 53 AD. Paul wrote it about a year after he wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians. Um, and uh, he wrote 2 Thessalonians really for three main purposes. One, he wanted to amend false teaching uh, regarding end times prophecy in particular. Uh, secondly, he wrote it to exhort the believers in Thessalonica 
um, to seek the truth and also to avoid bad company, those that were, that were teaching lies. And uh, finally, he wrote it to encourage these believers because they were being persecuted. And, you know, let's be honest. When, um, when you're facing ongoing persecution, when you're facing ongoing trial, it has the, the tendency to just rob you of your peace, just to suck the joy right out of you and really put you in a state of anxiousness. And man, I don't have to tell you guys that. A lot of you uh, are, are calling that Tuesday, man. You, you get it. Um, these Thessalonians, they certainly got it. Remember, they're facing daily persecution on all sides. Many of them are being beaten. Um, some of them are being put to death. Uh, as well, uh, it wasn't uncommon for the government to be seizing their property, for workers to be prevented from practicing their trades, something we can certainly uh, identify with these days. Um, and really, it was just a daily challenge for these believers uh, to get food, to get medicine, to get shelter. And so it's fitting here that Paul now concludes his letter saying, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. That word peace uh, in the original language, it means a state of national tranquility, uh, a state of security, a state of safety, a state of prosperity. Uh, and I find that definition interesting, especially in light of where we're at right now, at a time when really we have a shortage of national tranquility. We have a, a shortage of security and of safety. And uh, this is a time when our prosperity is severely in question. But I want you to note where this peace comes from, because that's critically key for us today. It comes from the Lord himself. That's what Paul says. He says, uh, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Um, the idea here, listen, it doesn't come from the state of our nation. The source of the peace doesn't come from our business. doesn't come from our bank account. It doesn't come from the balance of our 401ks. That's not the source of our peace that Paul is talking about. The Blue Letter Bible defines the Lord's peace in verse 16 this way. It says, This peace is the tranquil state of a soul assured in its salvation through Christ, and so, fearing nothing from God, it is content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. Let me ask you a question. Does that describe you today? Does that describe you today? I remember years ago, I was... Uh, I'd gone over to Catalina. I used to own a small boat, a little 18-footer, and we would take it over to Catalina regularly. I've talked about it a lot. Um, and uh, and um, we, we, you know, usually the routine was we'd, we'd, we'd go over. We'd go over early in the morning when the seas were nice and calm. I'd top off the gas tanks while I was there uh, for the trip home. And, uh, and on this particular trip, uh, the, uh, the fuel dock was closed for some reason, and, uh, and we couldn't top off the tanks. And so I, I kind of eyeballed where we're at. And I thought, you know what, uh, rather than wait, you know, the, the, the two hours until this, this fuel dock's going to be opened again, uh, the seas are going to get worse as the afternoon progresses. Let's just head back. I think we're going to be okay. Well, man, it, it started blowing and the seas started getting bigger and it was victory at sea, man. 
and uh, and I'm I'm watching the fuel gauge just get lower and lower and lower and uh, and man we are nowhere near the mainland and I'm starting to freak out now meanwhile my son Scotty and his friend Curtis were up in the bow of the boat and every time we'd hit a wave they were just jumping up in the the boat and they were just you know laughing and just catching air as high as they could get and they were having a ball man they were completely oblivious to the 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 trauma that I was going through, the agony I was going through. And I, and I had to tell somebody, I, could, I wasn't going to let them know. I wasn't going to let the whole boat know because I didn't want to have everybody freaking out. But uh, one of my friends on the boat, I, I was like, man, somebody needs to share this terror with me. I made eye contact with him and the look on my face told him everything. He, got, he went from being happy to having this look of concern. And I just kind of motioned to the fuel gauge and he looked at the fuel gauge, got the same look of, oh my gosh, as I had all over my face. And uh, I just said, you know, quiet. And so I felt a little better, somebody else sharing my, my anxiety. And of course, we made it. Um, on fumes, we made it. But I tell you that story because, man, my son didn't have a care in the world. He, all he knew, hey, his dad was handling everything. And so he just enjoyed the ride, never for one second worrying about, are we going to have enough fuel to make this trip? Now, that's the idea that Paul is conveying to the Thessalonians uh, here when he says, look, the Lord himself is going to give you peace. He's got it all under control, and, and, and he's, he's going to take care of everything. You don't have to worry about a thing. Now, my analogy breaks down because I'm a man, I'm fallible, and I'm the idiot who didn't top off the fuel tank and put us in a bad situation. The Lord is in, the Lord is in control. He is in control, and we can trust in Him and completely just, you know, the, the picture is, baby, enjoy the ride because God is in control. Listen, the psalmist said this. He said, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. And then he adds this word, Selah. Selah. And of course, you know, that, mean, that word means you just stop and think about that for a while. You just take a walk with that thought. Hey, God's on the throne. He's in control. Look, everywhere I look right now, I'm seeing people that are just losing their minds. They're looking at all these things, and they're freaking out. And I'm, not, I'm talking about Christians as well as, as non-Christians, people that are, are really just freaking out. Man, the sky is falling. Hey, let me ask you a question. So what if it is? So what if it is? Jesus has promised that God is going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us. Now, he might not take care of us the way that we would like. He might allow us to go through some difficulties and some hardships that, that we would rather avoid uh, with everything we can. But listen, God's on the throne. He knows what he's doing. And we can, we can rest in him. Now, this isn't Pollyanna wishful thinking. This isn't, you know, Pastor Ted just, just, you know, putting some sort of bow on something and just asking you just to have blind faith. No, listen, I've got verses. I've got verses. Listen, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. He said, no one can serve two masters. 
For you will either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Uh, he continues on, on this and he says, why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Here's the idea, guys. The Lord of peace himself invites you today into a tranquil state of your salvation in Jesus Christ. The state of fearing nothing, the state of contentment over and above what the world can ever offer to us. This is what the Lord offers to us. And listen, no amount of money can buy it. There's no politician that can steal it. There's no virus that can ever derail it. Why? Because it's a peace that's anchored in heaven, not on earth. And I want to challenge you with a thought. I just want you to kind of take a walk with this. If you're freaking out about something right now, fill in the blank, whatever it is, you're freaking out about something, if you're lacking peace, I want you honestly to take a prayerful walk with this in an open hand before the Lord. Take this, this anxiety that you have, and I want you to bring it before the Lord and just, just take a walk with that and, and go, man, is this because my hope is anchored in the wrong place? Is this because I'm trusting in something other than you? You know, sometimes we anchor our life to things that fail. Uh, money, power, fame, fortune, success, everything is anchored to, the, to that. Sometimes we, we anchor our peace to a relationship, you know, and, and man, it's, it's got to be, this relationship's got to be intact, and, and we see, you know, people compromise in the area of relationship in order to hold on to a relationship, and they, they make a decision that because their security is wrapped up in their relationship, they, 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 they allow themselves to compromise from the relationship with God because, man, i got to hang on to this relationship. Sometimes it's our pleasures that we anchor our peace to. And so my, my happiness is anchored in my hobby or my recreation or, or in entertainment. And, and sometimes it's, it's our works. Sometimes, you know, everything revolves around my achievement. And am I achieving this thing? That's the thing that, that you know, I allow to be the anchor 
of my peace. Listen, but what do you do when those anchors fail? Because listen, they will fail. At some point, if you anchor your hope and your peace in anything other than the Lord and his promises, listen, that anchor will fail. And when it fails, what happens is your peace is going to fail along with it. But God offers us a better peace. He offers us a lasting peace. Paul says, the Lord of peace himself give you peace. You know, this isn't in my notes, but I, I just wanted to turn there real quickly in Ephesians 4, because that immediately comes to my mind, uh, uh, or in uh, Philippians chapter 4. The, the, uh, the Apostle Paul here, he's, uh, he's under house arrest, and he's writing this uh, to, uh, to uh, the Philippians, and he's saying, he starts off in verse 1, he says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, stand fast in the Lord. And then, and then he says, rejoice, in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he adds this, this is key. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Here's the context that he says this in, and he's going to clarify this in the next verses. The context that he's saying this in is that we don't have to be anxious for anything. We can, we can cast all of our cares to the Lord. In fact, that's exactly what he says there in verse 6, the very next verse. He starts off, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And I find it interesting. He starts off in verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all the Lord is at hand. It's no coincidence that that precedes, hey, be known as somebody who is gentle. Let this be the hallmark of who you are. You don't have to, to, um, to freak out and to behave in, in an, in an unchristlike manner uh, when, when, when you're, you know, you don't have to fight and scrap to, to, to hold on to your peace. No, you can be anxious for nothing and let these things be made known to God. God is on the throne. He's able to fight your battles. That, that's the idea. That, that's, that's what we're looking at here. Man, the Lord of peace himself is going to give that to you. Now, this is why Paul could tell the Philippians uh, in verse 11, I've learned to be content Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I've learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or uneasy regardless of my circumstances. You know, somebody once said, you know, hey, how you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. And the guy says, well, what are you doing under those? Listen, uh, Paul is saying, it doesn't matter the circumstances. I've learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ, through Jesus Christ. And listen, not only does God give us his peace, notice also he gives us his presence. Paul says there at the end of verse 16, the Lord be with you all. The Lord be with you all. This is more than a closing pleasantry. You know, this isn't a, hey, God bless you, God be with you kind of salutation, just empty words that we speak. Listen, Jesus promised his disciples that he would be with us. He said to his disciples in John 14, 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. 
Uh, he says in verses 16 and 17 of that same chapter, he says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Abide with you. He's there. He's with you. He's in you, right? The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. How? For he dwells with you and he will be in you. Listen, the psalmist declared, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we have the promise of God's peace. And we have the promise of God's presence. And as we close, Paul gives to us the promise of God's grace. The promise of God's grace. So it's really when it all boils down to it. This is the source of peace in the first place. This is the source of, of uh, God's presence in the first place. It's, it's the promise of God's grace. God's grace is the promise that he, that he concludes with here. Uh, 2 Thessalonians verse 3, verses 17 and 18, it, Paul says, The salutation of Paul with, uh, with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write, remember, there were those that were circulating things supposedly written by Paul. And Paul's saying here, this is my own handwriting. This is not a forgery. You'll know it's authenticated because you recognize my handwriting. Verse 18, here's how he closes. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Grace is where Paul began this letter, if you'll recall, back at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it's where he now ends it. That word grace, it literally means unmerited favor. And Paul explained it this way to the Ephesians. He said, for by grace, unmerited favor, have you been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, in other words, he's saying, look, it's not about your religious works. You're not saved because you do good and try harder. You're not saved because you're a good boy or a good girl. He says you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who paid the penalty for your sin. And it's nothing you can do, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, he says, lest anyone should boast. Listen, here's the gospel. The gospel message is that God loves you. And he created you to live forever in a relationship with him. And the problem is, is that God, because, uh, because he gave to us from the very beginning a choice. Hey, I love you and I want to be in relationship with you. And I'm offering that to you, but I give you a choice. You can take that or you can reject it. And what happened is that mankind rejected it. Uh, Adam fell into sin because he rejected the Lord's command. And the Bible says that sin has infected all of us. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. Sin means to miss the mark, and the mark is perfection. <laughs> it's walking with the Lord in a loving, intimate relationship. Well, I, I don't know, the last time you checked, you ain't perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us is perfect. But God, listen, because he loves you, he didn't want to leave you in that state. And so what happened? Well, the problem with rejecting God and, and having sin in your life is that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And, and so if you die in your sin, you will die forever separated from God. That's not the heart of God. He does not want that. He desires that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And so what God did is he sent Jesus Christ to this earth earth 
to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin by taking our sins upon him on the cross. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. How does that happen? Jesus died on the cross for our sins in our place and he offers to us eternal life. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered Satan and sin and death. And the book of Romans says that, that in, in, having ascended into heaven, that Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. And what's he doing there? He's praying for you. He's praying for me by name. And he's doing this constantly. God desires that you would, would wake up to the fact that you are a sinner and that you need a savior, and that Jesus Christ is that savior. And Jesus today gives you the opportunity to be saved. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe would not perish, but would have everlasting life. These are Jesus' words, and it's the invitation that you have today. Listen, the thing about God's grace is that there isn't a thing that you can do to earn it. God gives it to us in Jesus when we repent and we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Max Lucado, in his book, No Wonder They Call Him Savior, he tells the story of a Brazilian girl and her name is Christina. She was unsatisfied with her home and with her small village and so she ran away one night. She left a note for her mom. Her mom found the note. She'd gone to the city um, and her mom was heartbroken because here's what she knew. She knew that Christina was a beautiful girl and that she was all alone in a big city with, with no means of support. And she, this mom knew what life on the streets would um, become for a young, attractive, vulnerable girl like Christina. But she also knew that Christina was stubborn and uh, that she was proud. And that when she met with hardship, that she would, you know, rather than going home, rather than returning to her mom and her dad, she knew that Christina would, would stay there and do whatever it took to stay there. And, you know, when pride meets hunger, desperation sets in and desperate people do desperate things. And so the mom feared where Christina would end up. And, and whether or not she'd, she'd be selling her body to, to live in this state. And so the mom spent everything she had on a bus ticket. And she took the last, you know, of, of her money to, to, uh, to get the bus ticket and to go into a photo booth. And she took 100 pictures of herself, the mom's face. And she got on that bus and she went down to the city where her daughter had said she was going and the mom went into every bar, she went into every brothel, she went into every seedy hotel, which were the likely places where Christina might end up in desperation. And the mom had posted these pictures of herself in all of these places. And sure enough, Christina came, she was shipwrecked and dirty, and she had fallen into the life that her mom feared. And Christina saw the picture of her mom. And across the picture, on every single picture, the mom had written these words. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, I forgive you. Please come home. And thank God she did. That's the invitation that you and I have today. If you're 
listening to this message right now. And if you don't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, this mom and this story gives us a great picture of, of God in Christ Jesus who says, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, I forgive you, repent and come home. Repent, it simply means to turn. And the turning is this, it's that you right now, you maybe have been going in a, in a, in a bad direction. And maybe you've spent years going in this bad direction. Maybe you have, you have run so far from the Lord. Maybe that's where you are right now. But it's been said, no matter how far you've run from the Lord, he's only one step away. And that step is to turn to God and to repent of your sin. Just to pray a prayer that says, God, forgive me, have mercy on me.